Hey everyone back again. Today we're going to continue where we left off now with part two or division two and we're going to be covering chapters one and two from division two. Division two titled Dasein and Temporality. But before jumping into it, go check out the previous episodes if you haven't already. What are you doing here? Follow me on all platforms if you'd like. Uh, you can help me out by liking, sharing, subscribing or monetarily via Patreon or PayPal. All links for such things in the description. So yeah, go and do that. And let us jump into now Division 2, specifically dealing or titled Dasein and Temporality. Dasein and Time. Although time, as you will see, should not be confused with temporality as Heidegger lays it out. So, so far, we haven't fully comprehended Dasein and its total structure ontologically. And, spoiler alert, we'll never get there. <laughs> He keeps, like, teasing this thing, like, oh, we're looking for the fundamental ontology of Dasein. Never comes. Doesn't, doesn't arrive. We have only looked so far at it really ontically. So what he means by that is that we've only looked at things in the world as signs of Dasein's possible existence, like evidence of its existence, certain characteristics it might have that are still valuable in understanding what being means and you know, what it means to be grounded and rooted in the world, totally important, but we haven't found the total structure or the fundamental ontology of Dasein. We've only looked at it ontically, that is, in the moments it has expressed itself in existence in the world. Now, this is fundamentally limited because it freezes Dasein for analysis, like to be seen in the world, thereby providing us something to analyze that isn't Dasein itself. So anytime that we look at something in the world as a sign of Dasein's possible existence or a demonstration of its existence, what we are doing is kind of like freezing it, not actually accounting for it in itself. Now instead, to approach the fundamental question of ontology, we must approach Dasein in its authenticity and its wholeness which means not looking at individual instances of like care in the world or being in the world or tools or like hammers that help us construct a world, but instead look at Dasein in terms of its authenticity and its whole wholeness. So, so long as Dasein is in the world, it is limited and this limit can be breached in death to pursue something else, which I think will become clearer with time as we move uh, as we move through this. But his point here is to say that Dasein is intimately bound up with death. Any time that Dasein exerts its own will, and again, I'm just using that term will, I'm using it very loosely. Any time that Dasein does something, it implies it's leaving something else. It's leaving what it was doing in favor of something else. For Dasein to even exist at all, means it has gone from non-existence to existence, which in itself implies a kind of death, the death of non-existence into existence. And that is exactly what will characterize Dasein from here on out, or it's going to be another element added into the equation for Heidegger. That is factoring in death and how we live many, many deaths throughout our life, all pointing to that one final death that we, you know, we can envision being there, and it is by virtue of that that we're able to be like, oh, uh, maybe I should do something today instead of doing nothing. Like, if you had infinite time, you'd probably do very little. 
So in addition to factoring in death, he wants to factor in temporality. And he does this somewhat abruptly in the book where he's like, or he says, he tells us that Dasein's primordial ontological ground existentially is temporality. So we observe here the authentic potentiality for being whole as a mode of care. And he continues, if temporality constitutes the primordial meaning of being of Dasein, then care must need time and thus, and thus reckon with time. So he's suggesting here that temporality is bound up with Dasein itself. Because you remember how I mentioned that, you know, uh, Dasein undergoes a kind of death. I'm being a little bit facetious here, but undergoes a kind of death in its entrance into the world. It must do so as a function of time. It is only in time that it's able to do that. And this will kind of set the basis for uh, Heidegger's criticism of Kant, where Heidegger's like, space is a much more specific thing to the being of existence, whereas time relates to being both in its fundamental ground, ontological structure, and in its existence. Because the only way something could go from non-being into being would imply that it has moved through time, not that it has moved through space because it's gone from non-space to space. Whereas along that entire trajectory to go from non-being to being, from non-space to space, implies that it has always existed in time because it is through time that any movement or change is able to happen at all. Not movement in space, but you know what I mean, for change to happen. It must happen in time, at least for Heidegger. I don't know. Do you buy it? I, I kind of don't because, you know, movement and change always imply space as well. But, you know, tell me what you think. So it is then through the horizon of time that we can project meaning of being or we can ostensibly find it there. Now, we, this will become clearer as we go through these next few chapters but what he's essentially saying is that time is something that we've constructed as almost an expression of what is, is an innate capacity to reflect upon, to uh, grapple with, to live within temporality. We are always bound up with temporality, but then we erect these superficial demonstrations of temporality in the form of time, like calendars, clocks, everything like that, to help us make sense of this fundamental ground ontological ground that is temporality that gives everything its meaning and that here that'll become clearer but for now let's move into chapter one titled the possible being a whole of Dasein and being towards death so despite knowing that care forms the totality of the structural whole whole of Dasein we must acknowledge how limited that is so so far it's been like okay okay oh please I live in LA, right? There's just police all the time. All the time. It's just like endless. And police helicopters all the time. It's, it's wild. I won't edit that out. Okay, so, so far, <laughs> Dasein has been rooted in care. That is because when you kind of become, when you enter the world as a being, you are expected to adopt that world, and you thereby, you, therefore, you, you actually contribute to it. You participate in constructing that world, 
And you can only do so if you have this like innate capacity to care for that world, to be a part of it, to want to contribute to it, which we all do in the setting that we are thrown into, the things that we care about and that make sense to us. So this is limited though. And it's important here that he adds other things into the equation. So in this, in this instance, care is only one broad instance of Dasein's totality, and something st is still outstanding. What truly characterizes Dasein for Heidegger is its striving for more. When it is complete or whole, it, it is really dead. Dasein is never like, oh, I've made it. I've arrived. Being is here, and now it's, that's it. One of Dasein's fundamental characteristics is that it is always moving, always changing, always developing, while having also been submitted to the they, or a norm that it adapts to, but it never just sits there like a robot and is like, okay, tell me what to do. No one does that. They all exist by their own will and according to what makes sense to them in their own selves. Now there is there is a Hegelian thing to draw upon here, and I think that it would connect it connects to um, with what he will say later about his appreciation of Hegel versus Kant, because Hegel at least considers like world events and world phenomena in pushing human history, whereas Kant is like very systematically trying to find out like how we exist robotically in the world, how we have the mechanisms for experience itself, instead of looking at like specific historical events and phenomena but here we see another resonance with hegel insofar as heidegger sees dasein's being complete as a bad thing any dasein that's like oh i'm good like i i don't need to grow anymore or anything like that is a sign of it's having defeated itself and we find this in hegel with the lord bondsman dynamic where for hegel the lord because they believe themselves to have be the almighty essentially they have essentially shot themselves in the foot because they aren't going to permit themselves to grow anymore. So they're living a kind of living death, zombie-like life. Whereas the bondsman, who sees the Lord and is like, I want to be like that, they are the driving force of human history because they're like, oh, it doesn't need to be the way it is right now. Let us change this for myself or community or whatever. So I think that we, you know, not totally important, just thought I'd raise that. Uh, point, at least as I was reading it, I thought of that. So our inability to conceptualize Dasein in its totality has nothing to do with our limited cognitive faculties, but is because of the nature of the being of being itself. We are not privy to it, not because we're limited, but because it is elusive. It's it's like almost like, you know, explaining what water is to a fish. It's just, it is what we are. So therefore, we lack the ability to really conceptualize it which doesn't mean we should just like wipe our hands and be like oh there's no point to really consider it we have to still pursue it we still have to try to find the structural whole of Dasein it's fundamental ontology now we have to do so though by almost investigating our new friend here and that is death we have to add death into the equation as bounding Dasein and making it whole because death is like a, an endpoint. And when we have an endpoint, we can begin to speculate whether there is a kind of like purpose behind its existing in the first place. And this is the Kantian thing from the critique of judgment when he's like trying to find out if within nature, 
If certain things have ends, they satisfy some end, does that mean they were created with a purpose within nature, for example? At least in our like human's ability to actually engage with those things. So in death, we can observe a transition of a being from the kind of being of Dasein, that is of life, of living, to no longer Dasein. So in death, Dasein goes from itself as Dasein, as living, as a being, into not that. <laughs> it's because it's dead. That's, that's it. So it goes away. Now, but the person here, as objectively present, has remained unchanged in death. Like, there's still a body there, right? The end of the being of Dasein is the beginning of this being as something merely present. So when we undergo death, when we die, Dasein dies. The very core of our being dies. But something else is born anew. And that is our just being present, like our just physically being there. It is the only time when we're just like physically there without Dasein, without any kind of being attached to it, which is a new thing. Now, the problem here is that the deceased aren't just treated like nothing. Their body is commemorated, even if they have departed this world. And we have so many different rituals and dealing with the dead and all societies do deal with the dead in some form or other. We do have an attachment to this. So with dying or Dasein becoming whole, that is, it's having completed its journey, it's completed its project, this can only be experienced by the one who dies. So death is something that every single society recognizes and has you know, certain ways of dealing with it that make sense to them, be it to replenish crops or, you know, it's a sign of God's will or grace or whatever, you know, insert your explanation here. But despite that, death is always only ever experienced individually. Nobody knows what it's like, yet we all are very much aware of it. It is at the forefront. We, we construct narratives to understand it. We create gods to understand it. Like, it is something that haunts us, and yet it is something that we all... <laughs> experience yet know nothing about. So what does that mean then for Dasein? Because death is Dasein's end, at least we think, <laughs> at least we think. And in that case, if death is not something that can be represented or really understood, or like, if you, you know, illustrated in any way, then how can we actually find anything about Dasein there? How can we even suggest that it is a sign of Dasein's wholeness? For all we know, Dasein continues on afterwards. Well, the immediate answer is that Dasein is bound up with being in the world. And death is a sign of having not or no longer being a part of that world. So therefore, it is no longer itself as we understand it. But as well, it demands that we have to now interrogate what death really is and understand it in relation to Dasein's being in the world. So we have to think more than about our understanding of end and of wholeness. So when we say that until death there is something outstanding for Dasein, that is, it's not yet, that is the thing that's always coming, this is pointing to Dasein's infinite possibility for more until it has arrived at that end point. Now, in all of this, there's a, there's a little bit of a risk uh, kind of lurking here. 
And that is to give too much of a face and an identity. Wow, words are hard. And an identity to both Dasein and death. Because so far, we've kind of been talking about it a little bit more nebulously. It's been pointing to things in the world, but like care and tools and all that. But like with death, it's something that we've, you know, we've subject to so much illustration and understanding. We could be totally wrong, but it's something we still have done. And when we talk about it this way, we risk conflating our images, our understandings of death with Dasein's relationship with death. So it's important to kind of try to separate those two and understand that we're grappling with something entirely new here for Heidegger. And the reason we should really think of it this way or be careful is that Dasein doesn't just experience one death as I implied earlier. It is always in the process of dying, of losing itself, because it's always changing, it's always developing. Death is imminent to Dasein. It is within Dasein. It forms part of Dasein's very fabric. But it is paradoxically the possibility, the absolute impossibility of Dasein, that is death, is the possibility of the absolute impossibility of Dasein. Then it's funny, you might hear birds too. I mean, it uh, birds aren't too offensive, I hope, if you hear birds. Goes to show my amazing editing skills. But wait here, okay, wait. What about care and being with others? Is death pure imminence? and therefore a sign of its disconnectedness from others? Well, no, because we all experience death, as I said. It's something, it's like we have to negate the negation here, like Hegel says, you know. Even though we all experience death on our own, which might be a negation of finding a kind of communal factor to death, we have to acknowledge that because we all experience it, we are then united. We have to take away that initial negation of it being a, a totally separated phenomenon or totally individual phenomena, phenomenon. So Dasein's being towards death is universal because it is characterized as thrownness and falling prey, becoming what is not to be part of a world and others. So in his words, dying is grounded in care and death is eminent imminence. It's kind of celebrated uh, imminence in this way. So to care is to always be attuned to death. And we have that, you know, we always feel it for people we love and ourselves. It's always haunting us. But at a more, I guess, a less grim level, just by existing, you are undergoing so many changes, so many deaths. This is what pushes you to be different and to grow. So we speak of death as essentially a public thing in our daily lives, in the they you know, we talk about funerals and who's the most recent person to have died and, you know, you get life updates and all that. And in the way that it is spoken about, it always only ever seems to happen to others. We often ignore or don't look at it for ourselves, right? Because that's a hard thing to confront. Let's be real. It's not easy to really sit with that and confront our eventual end. So we speak of it like an everyday idle thing, like that, a thing that just happens. So in a sense, then, death loses its own non-relationality and inseparability here. It is sort of controlled instead, like almost publicly. So instead of death being something that is truly individual, as we know it to be, and something we all undergo in our own being, when we talk about it as like a public thing in the they, 
the thing that we've fallen prey to in life and everyday everyday talk, we are always deferring it onto somebody else to a later date. And so here he says that the they, the they, tranquilizes death. It's a way by which we forget about its like urgency because it's always over there, right? It's always happening to someone else. The irony here, though, is that in death, Dasein realizes its own most non-relational and insuperable qualities because death is an individual event. So when we talk about death in terms of always happening over there to someone else, it's like a public thing, we just it's part of like idle chatter instead of like a significant thing in our lives. When we do that, we are erasing Dasein's fundamental individuality, inseparability, and non relationality or its separability yeah anyways it's individuality and it's non-relationality it is totally my own my own dasein and my own death so by foreclosing an engagement with dasein or by ignoring dasein in its attachment to death we reserve dasein for the living as though there could be nothing more and in doing that we actually deform dasein we do not treat it as a whole, where the whole will be completed in that final uh, moment of death. Which is ironic, because death is certain, but not in the way the public talks about it. It can happen at any moment, really. Like, it, it, it could be at any time. But it's something that we always try to get control over, especially in, like, you know, European extended West in order to try and always have a control over bodies, over populations, over people. Which is Baudrillard's point, for those interested, to say that it is when death has been controlled that life can begin to be controlled. Death is constantly exercised away, it's taken out of social life, or treated in a totally whitewashed, banal, tranquilized way, and then people are able to be controlled as a result, because they do not have that same possible attachment to that possible end or having it on their brains. So what really is Dasein's attachment to death? Well, like I've already suggested, it's hard to say because death is intangible. It's hard to illustrate. Moreover, in Heidegger's words, death does not belong at all to the order of degrees of evidence about things objectively present because death is like just that endpoint. We have no idea what it is. We know it's going to happen to all of us, but beyond that, Dasein relates itself to death in death's possibility, or the possibility implied in death. Dasein thus always anticipates death as its end, and in Heidegger's words, being toward death is the anticipation of a potentiality of being, of that being whose kind of being is anticipation itself. So when we confront death, we experience a kind of anticipation, almost like a kind of uh, fear and anxiety as a result. And in that is born a new kind of being that is able to push being to be, if that makes sense, because of our awareness of that eventual end. It forces us, it encourages us to get up out of bed in the morning to do things. Instead, if we had infinite time, we likely wouldn't do very much. So anticipation shows itself as the possibility of understanding one's own most and extreme potentiality of being, that is, as the possibility of authentic existence. 
So in anticipation, we then find the possibility to exist authentically, to best maximize our relationship to ourselves, knowing that there is that endpoint. So we want to live our best lives in this way. So anticipation individualizes Dasein as non-relational. It is my own death that I will experience, not the death of any. You never experience someone else's death like fully, which, you know, I think that there are definitely ways to poke holes in this, especially if we follow along the Heideggerian idea of being in the world. It would seem as though relationality is a fundamental component of Dasein, not that it's like a purely individual thing, but whatever. It is through this individuality, though, that being with others is first made possible. Now, the certainty of death makes us agents in a world we can contribute to. So it is through that, that knowledge of death, that, you know, we come together first as a species in like the most vulgar way just to survive. Because, you know, we're humans, right? We don't have fangs or talons or fur or pelts or anything like we're doomed in nature. We have to work together. And it is by first acknowledging this individuality, this kind of self-responsibility, not in like a neoliberal type, you know, in industrial sense, but a self-responsibility in being attuned to one's own Dasein, one's own identity in this world, that you can become an agent and actually contributing to that world and not just like, you know, floating around it like a robot and just mirroring what the world tells you. So it is through this individuality that being with others is first made possible. I hope that that's made that clear. And if we didn't have this, we would be uh, caught in a kind of arrested development, this robotic state of non-change and not non-growth. And so Dasein has an innate knowledge of death. Dasein must always know about it on the horizon. And to be toward death is to be anxious. And it is in this anxiety that Dasein is itself as passionate, anxious freedom toward death, which is free of the illusions of the they, factical and certain of itself. So what he's, what he's saying here, to put this into English, what he's saying here is that knowledge of death is what allows people to break away from the boundaries of the norm, of the they that they are a part of, and then exert their own kind of freedom, their own kind of will, beyond just being a robotic extension of that world. Because we contribute to it. We have to be agents within that world, not to just totally lose our, um, our identity in it. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know how this would be applicable to settings. Like if you take Spivak's suggestion, for example, that like the subaltern does not speak or cannot speak, what sense is there to be made of Dasein in those cases? Like either Spivak is wrong or Heidegger is living in a total fantasy world in which there's no such thing as like power, where we just like fall into the world and then are given this opportunity to embrace our total individual, you know, Dasein filled selves up until death. And I, I think Spivak is more right here, but yeah, we, this, this is the idea is still interesting. So to be toward death is to be anxious, right? It is. And it's through that anxiety that you're opened up to new possibility. You're like, I got to take advantage of the time I have here. Now, we must see how this manifests, how this comes about and exists in the world phenomenologically. And that'll push us into chapter two, titled The Attestation of Dasein, of an Authentic Potentiality of Being and Resoluteness. So D Dasein is inauthentic 
when it is absorbed in the they. You know, when you're just repeating what the norm tells you and what society tells you, what your world tells you, then you are living an inauthentic life. But again, as I said in one of the previous episodes, Heidegger's not saying this is like bad. This is like, we have no other choice. What's bad is like, if you, if you never had the opportunity to express any kind of like individuality in this, in this setting. So it comes to its own, that is Dasein, its own self, when it embraces its own being and decides for itself. So Dasein becomes aware of this possibility when it is shown to itself in its possible authenticity. So we can arrive here through voice of conscience to wrest Dasein away from the being thrown into the they, from just being subject to that world. I mean, and there, there's so many mysteries that persist here, like where does this voice of conscience come from? How does Dasein actually manifest as an individual expression in a world of the they? Because any way that we actually demonstrate our individuality is going to be wrapped up with the codes and traditions and everything about that world. How do we separate actual individual expressions of Dasein's own will from those that are just part of the they? Is going out and buying uh, you know, a $50,000 sports car like a demonstration of Dasein? I, I don't think so, and I don't think Heidegger would either. But there's no denying that this is something that many people take to be a demonstration of their own will and their individuality. So how do you actually parse out the difference, you know, between this voice of conscience that encourages us to fully embrace our, like, individuality from just, you know, vapid or superfluous, superficial demonstrations of individuality that are, like, given to us by capitalist interest or by industry or, or anything else. I mean, you, you tell me, I have no idea. But in any case, he continues to say that conscience is a calling within Dasein. In his words, the call of conscience has the character of summoning Dasein to its own most potentiality of being, a self by summoning it to its own own most being guilty. Guilty here is understood as a sense of lacking something ontological. Now, this kind of lacking is a failure to satisfy some demand placed on one's existing in their being with others. So what, it, what does that all mean? The guilt and potentiality being, well, Dasein's conscience is that moment or that voice that says like, hey, you aren't living your best life. Here's how you can do it. And that produces a sense of guilt within Dasein. So Heidegger stresses that we go beyond guilt as indebtedness to others. Instead, we must locate guilt primordi primordially in Dasein. It's not like, oh, I didn't, you know, help Bill rake his lawn or something. That this th That's not the guilt that Heidegger's talking about here. He's talking about guilt that is primordial in Dasein, where Dasein is the ground of all being, but only attains its groundedness in permitting other Daseins to shape it, you know, when it falls to the they, when it enters a world. It is therefore a ground of nullity. It experiences guilt insofar as it is responsible for every missed opportunity in that world. So the kind of lack that Dasein feels is a failure to satisfy, as I said earlier, 
some demand placed on one's existing in their being with others. Now, you know, in, in all of this, who is really when the problem persists? Like who is doing this calling or what is doing this calling of conscience? Well, it's Dasein itself, which is a, you know, Dasein is calling Dasein. How far can we actually take the, I mean, this is the whole book. If you read this thing, it's just like, it just is because it is. That's just kind of what the argument is, which is it's not, not to totally discredit it, but yeah, it's, sometimes I'm like, where, where are we going here? But more specifically, Dasein ushers from our own most potentiality of being, where he says that conscience reveals itself as the call of care insofar as it guides with a purpose. So being in the world and what obligations are bound up with being in that world. What things are made apparent when our hammer breaks? If we go back to the tool example, when our tool breaks that, you know, we've never thought about the tool before we just use it. When it breaks, suddenly we are denied access to something that was, you know, that we were trying to gain access to or add to our world. And suddenly in that moment where we become aware of what we are going to lack or what is going to lack in that world. So again, this has nothing to do with like, doing things in the world for people like helping bill with his leaves or like being a moral being we're talking about something much more primordial something before uh being a moral being we're talking about the something bound up with the very possibility of existence itself so we can still learn from these more ontic expressions like what guilt do i experience if i don't help someone out in the world like change their tire in their car the fact that we can even have guilt at all might point to this very possibility of an innate capacity for guilt, which might imply Dasein's not feeling satisfied knowing that it has an eventual expiration date. I mean, all of these things can be inferred. It's a little bit Kantian, especially with the with dealing with uh, ethic, ethical judgment, but, you know, Heidegger says it isn't, so whatever. So Dasein's openness to, to itself as an attestation of itself is a sign of its resoluteness. So when Dasein is true to itself, it is being resolute. In his words, the reticent projecting oneself upon one's own most being guilty, which is ready for anxiety. So authentic resoluteness is aware of and anticipates death as its end. So Dasein experiences ir- irresoluteness when it is absorbed in the they. So Dasein is resolute when it is aware of its end and then uses that knowledge to best embrace its identity, what it is for itself. And yeah, that'll push us here into chapter three. And for now, I'll you know wrap this up. Let me know what you think. Something I got wrong, something I, uh, I missed, I should have included. I mean, what could I have missed? I mean, this is so, so many episodes. Uh, there could be something though. Let me know. You like what I did, like, share, subscribe, and uh, yeah, on that note, take care.